Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. In Western culture, males are still largely denied their rights to be victims. Although people are becoming more aware that boys and men are abused, many do not understand how it happens, its frequency, or the fact that it's not limited to the stereotypical scenarios of one-time encounters at summer camp or falling prey to a corrupt coach or priest. Of the research and plethora of books that discuss childhood sexual abuse, most have traditionally focused on the consequences for girls and women who have been abused by older boys and men. This focus on girls had led people to believe that the sexual abuse of boys is rare. This is not the case. That is an excerpt from the book Men 2, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse by Dr. Kelly Palfi, today's guest on Think Unbroken podcast. As many of you know, one of the subjects that I've broached in the course of this show, my career and books that I've written, articles that I've published, podcasts that I've been on and other appearances is the fact that when I was a child, I was sexually abused. And I had this moment where I did not share it for a very long time. And once I did, what was happened, what happened was I was told never talk about it. This is going to damage our family. Um, We will lose support from people who are supporting us and so on. And this is a story and narrative that is so true for so many boys and so many men who have experienced sexual abuse. And the conversation that I have today with Dr. Kelly Palfi is about exposing not only 
this subject matter to society at a greater scale and depth, which I hope that we will do today, but also looking at a lot of the ways that boys specifically um, fall into sexual abuse, how it happens, how they are groomed, how they are cold, how society doesn't talk about it or shuns it or looks the other way, and, and how we create space for male survivors to finally have this conversation, to find community, to find help, to find guidance, to find ultimately a way to be able to move through this um, and not let it be that hidden thing that stops you from finding love, compassion, empathy, hope, success, and, and whatever else it is that you may need in your life. And as I had this conversation with Dr. Paul Fee, I, I just kept thinking to myself, you know, if, if we would have been exposed to this information 15, 20, 30 years ago, A, I don't think that this would have happened to me. And B, I think that, uh, you know, society, parents, adults, we would be more apt to be able to handle and navigate these experiences. And so I have a great amount of appreciation for her coming on and sharing not only her life's work in this subject matter, but helping me move towards bringing this closer to the light, um, not only through the show, but in my own personal life and on this journey to healing. And so um, please, I encourage you to read her book. Um, it is on Amazon. It is on all the things. Um, as I read it, it was just, I don't want to say earth shattering because for me at this point in my life, I've been in this for a very long time. But if you've never contemplated, if you're um, someone who has been on the fence about learning more about this subject matter, it will be earth shattering for you because there's so much empirical and foundational evidence of, around this, so much research and and her coming into this from uh, what I would call an unbiased perspective as a professional that I think is very, very beneficial in this subject matter. Um, and so you can check out her book um, called Men Too. That's on Amazon. It's on everywhere. Um, and of course, please do me a favor if you find value in this episode, especially this episode, share it with a man in your life who needs it, share it with your community, share it with people who will get value out of it as they head deeper and further into their healing journey. Put it on Instagram, on your Facebook, on Twitter, tweet at me, let me know. I'm Michael Unbroken on all the social platforms. Please tag the Think Unbroken podcast. You know, it's my honor and privilege to be able to have these hard conversations because I know that someone listening today is going to find the support that they need. Um, and you may be able to even give that person and you may not know it that support by sharing this because they may through the secrecy of, of navigating what has happened in their life, be willing to sit and listen to this conversation. And I, I hope that holds true. So I appreciate you Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Welcome to the Think Unbroken podcast. I'm your host, Michael Unbroken, and this podcast is about helping trauma survivors let go of the past, overcome their fear, discover their identity, become the hero of their own story, and ultimately to be unbroken. Our goal and company is to bring on guests and experts in the fields of mental, physical, and psychological health to help you overcome the past, to take back your power. And in this podcast, we are unedited and unfiltered, and we're going to give it to you real so that you can start to create massive change in your life. If you're curious about learning more outside the podcast, you can get a free copy of my book, Think Unbroken, at book.thinkunbroken.com. That's book.thinkunbroken.com, where you can get a copy of my number one bestselling book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. The most important thing that you can ever do, my friends, is show up for yourself. And that's where you are today. And I appreciate you. I have massive gratitude for you. And without further ado, let's get into the show. We'll be right back to the show. But before we do, I'm going to take a moment and tell you about my new book, Unbroken Man, a man's guide to being the hero of their own story. I sat down a few months ago and realized that there are so many men in the world that need guidance, that need support, that need to learn about trauma, 
removing themselves from toxic masculinity, breaking down the barriers to vulnerability, getting unstuck, and ultimately learning the tools to become the hero of their own story. Unbroken Man is available for pre-order right now if you go to men.thinkunbroken.com where you'll also get access to over $1,000 in bonuses, including the six-week in-depth trauma healing coaching app, which you'll get instant access to. I created Unbroken Man to be accessible to everyone around the world, but it is written for men from the guise of a man, and I hope that you will find it to be a practical tool on your healing journey in the same way that thousands of men around the world have. So check out men.thinkunbroken.com to pre-order, and until next time, be unbroken. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Dr. Kelly Palfi, who is the author of Men Two Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. Kelly, my friend, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. How are you? Thanks, Michael. I'm well, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And I know that this is a subject that we're going to create a lot of context around. And for those folks who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, I'm a registered psychologist. I work in private practice in uh, the Edmonton, Alberta area. But prior to becoming a psychologist, I was a police lady. And so that's sort of what gave me the background to do this type of uh, this type of work with male survivors of sexual abuse. And I'm happy to explain that to you if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I I would love to know kind of what what sparked this interest for you to go and create, um, not only and write this book, but to be of service in this area. And and I'll, I'll preface the conversation with this. When I was young, I was molested by a member of our church. And it was something that was told to be pushed down, don't talk about it, pretend it didn't happen. Because in context, my mother was trying to make sure that people in the church could take care of us. And she didn't want to, for lack of a better term, write the boat. Rock the boat. Yeah, absolutely. So common. Yeah, very common, right? And it sent me down this incredible confusion around sexuality, around who Mm -hmm. I am as a person, my identity, so on and so forth. And it really wasn't until I got deep into the work that that things started to change. And I'll tell you this as context to this conversation, I really haven't dove into this in depth on the show. And so I'm very excited to have Mm -hmm. you on to talk about this. So I'd love to give us a little bit of background and understanding about male sexual abuse in general. Absolutely. And Michael, we're going to have to make this a two-part series probably because there's so much we could talk about. But yeah, so I was a RCMP officer. I was working in the behavioral sciences unit, specifically in the integrated child sexual exploitation unit. So they were training me to be a subject matter expert. And um, to be honest, we had seized all these videotapes. We were investigating the RCMP's first, we call it sex tourism file, which means a Canadian had traveled abroad for the purposes of exploiting a child sexually. We'd seized all this material. We were going through all of the, all of the videos of what, what had taken place, unfortunately. And, you know, we were seeing male sexual abuse happening there, but to be honest, I didn't recognize it as abuse because of course the boys looked like they were having fun. And, you know, I didn't really think too much about it, but then, you know, that was, that was one crime scene or whatever that we were investigating one crime, one set of crimes, but then we got more and more and more files. And I started to see more of this and on a training seminar when they were, um, trying to um, like training me to be a subject matter expert they had Sheldon Kennedy come in and talk to us now he was um, sexually abused by his coach he's a former pro hockey player he played for the Chicago Blackhawks Calgary Flames Detroit Red Wings a few few teams like that and um, he started being abused by his first coach and he talked to us about all the reasons why he didn't talk about it so you know he had his reasons were so valid I mean he said he was raised in poverty and his newfound career was literally lifting his family out of poverty. Um, his whole community was super proud of him. His parents were super proud of him. He knew he had the skill set to go pro and he knew that his coach could get him there. So those are some of the reasons that he stayed quiet. But he said he also stayed quiet because he felt like some of his teammates' parents knew that he was being abused and did nothing. So he felt like nobody would help. And this was early 2000s, right? So I, prior to becoming a police lady, I had worked in corrections. And I remember when I was working in corrections, wondering, why are there so many men and women, you know, compared to women? And I never really, I never got that answer. I never understood it. 
But when Sheldon Kennedy started talking about the ways he coped with his abuse, which was, you know, like on the ice, he'd take it out in aggression and, you know, turning to drugs and alcohol, it was like the light started to go on for me. I started to see holy crap, is this why there's maybe, maybe why there might be more men in prison than say women? Because, you know, we've got a plethora of boys who were abused that had no supports and, you know, continually being, um, their abuse being minimized or being told that they shouldn't have been abused or they weren't abused and having to turn to alcohol and drugs to numb themselves rather than how a woman might be fully supported in society. So at the time, I just remember, like, my heart just bled for him. And I remember thinking, like, we have to do something. Like, we, we need to do more. But, of course, I'm, in, I'm already, I'm working full-time investigating child sex crimes. And I just, I just remember, you know, my heart, my heart bled for him. And just, I was just so aware that there were no resources for men. Um, ironically, at the time... He also talked about living a double life. He said, you know, on one hand, I was a pro hockey player, but on the other hand, I was being abused. And that's the small piece that I kind of related to because I was going through pretty significant bullying and I didn't know how to stop it. And I, it was like destroying me. And I mean, I was an adult. I was a police lady with a badge and a gun. He was a youth, like away from home for the first time with like, you know, his entire future career on the line. So I was just very, very aware of how society fails boys and men. So then fast forward a few years, I actually ended up losing my career in policing to bullying. And I was absolutely desperate to find something else to be passionate about. And I'm very grateful that one of my professors in my master's program, I had already started my master's degree before I left the RCMP. What I just So I just decided to stay in school. And one of my professors mentioned that um, he worked at a place called the BC Society for Male Survivors of Sexual Abuse. And I mean, you have to understand, I was clinically depressed at that time. And when he said that, it was like, hey, I could get on board for that. Like, I know I've witnessed this. Like, I was trained in this area. Like, I understand some of the problems that boys and men have, or at, le- at least a few of them. And I, the biggest thing was that I had missed it initially, you know, like, like I said, I didn't know what I was seeing initially. And there was a huge conviction in that for me. So it was like, if I'm supposed to be the expert in this area, and I don't even know this, what does the rest of the population know, right? Like, less than I do. So I just decided to make it my goal, when I pursued my doctoral research to examine like other reasons why boys and men might not be coming forward. So yeah, so that's how I got involved in this. And then um, I got really, really good reviews on my dissertation and ended up turning it into a book (laughs) so that it could be uh, accessible for, you know, as a support for male survivors. And then also like as sort of a a, a tool to help other people in the world understand, you know, the reasons that boys and men don't come forward, the, the, the complicated barriers that they face compared to women. Yeah, and I, I would love to start there and mm-hmm. and ask you why is it that there's so much confusion for male survivors and why do they not come forward? There are there are a lot of reasons. A lot of them, um, a lot of them have to do with society, right? Like you know, masculine biases that say boys and men are not supposed to be victims, and you know that um, you know old myths that we used to believe. You know, boys boys and men always want sex; they never turn it down. They can control their erection, stuff like this. So, of course, if you've got a a boy that's been abused and he was not able to control his erection or or ended up enjoying it, he's obviously going to be very confused about his own willingness to participate. So even though he may have been coerced, threatened, um, you know, shamed into engaging in these sexual acts, his body may have responded. So that's very confusing for uh, for a boy or for a man. And, and of course, offenders in their grooming process will... Um, throw that sort of back at the victim and say, Oh, look, you like this, you know, we're friends. We're, you know, this is a, this is a healthy relationship. We're in love kind of thing. And, um, they get confused about their own willingness in that, in that abuse, their own participation, their own degree of willingness. So, um, I mean, that's one reason there's a lot of reasons or those, that's a couple of reasons. There are a lot of reasons. Um, like I mentioned with Sheldon Kennedy, one of the biggest reasons was they felt like nobody would care. Nobody was going to help them, even if they did disclose. So that that's like terrible, right? I mean, and again, that's perpetuated by society. You know, I mean, it's still not uncommon to hear male rape jokes on popular TV, right? Like blows my mind to this day that that's allowed, but you know, so things like that. Um, 
a lot of it is is fear too. I mean, oftentimes the offenders will threaten their victims. So, um, you know, a victim that's been threatened is a lot more likely to stay quiet. Um, many times they're victimized by someone in their biological family. So someone that they might be dependent on, uh, a bio parent even, which is really sad. But, you know, I, a couple of my participants in my research said that they never disclosed their abuse because if they did, they would never have a chance of going to university. So calculated decision to not say something, um, um, oftentimes there's a fear that if I do say something about dad or stepdad or uncle or whatever, what's going to happen to the family, right? They, they protect their parents, they protect their siblings. Um, you know, they, they'll say, I'll take the abuse so my sister doesn't have to, that kind of thing. It's just, it's just like boys, even at that age, doing what boys and men are conditioned to do, protecting other people from information that they think will be too hard for them to handle or too hard for the family to manage. Or like you mentioned in your case, Michael, like your uh, mother didn't want to rock the boat, right? Like a lot of the, you know, boys abused at church often don't want to blow their parents' church apart by this information, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's very interesting to me because, you know, you, you, you mentioned that a lot of times it's somebody in the family, but mm-hmm. it's also, and I, I think that perhaps this isn't discussed enough yeah. and maybe it's just the way that we look at society, but there's also um, females who abuse boys oh, yeah. and, and girls as well. Why do you feel like that is, and how do we kind of bring more awareness to it from from all aspects and all scopes of the conversation? I mean, why do I think that is? I think the females would abuse a child for the same reasons, possibly for the same reasons. Actually, I mean, that's not my area of specialty, honestly, but... Um, you know, like why they would abuse a child, but I know that it happens. It's very, it's very common. And the way society responds to that is shocking. I mean, you know, if a female abuses a male, I mean, I know that it's changing, but not fast enough. They will often treat it as if it's a coming of age, coming of age thing. Sorry, my puppy. (laughs) Or, um, or, you know, like a rite of passage kind of thing, right? So, um, yeah, uh, but you know, that just doesn't happen when it's a female victim, right? Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I've I've always kind of been perplexed by because I'm on the a different side of the coin really than a lot of people have gone through those experiences. One of the things that you you talked about was this idea of grooming, and I know that. So for context, a lot of people listening, I would call the majority of listeners of this show, um, they have children or they're they're in the process. They have kids. They have teens. Can you talk about about the yeah. tactics of grooming and Absolutely. and what people can be on the lookout for? Yeah, so grooming techniques, um, one of the things that parents really need to be aware of is that offenders will typically work really, really, really hard to become to come across as the least likely person you would ever suspect. So it's not, you know, a stranger danger used to be the thing that we warned kids about. Unfortunately, over 90% of abuse is happening by someone that the child knows and loves, and also someone that the parent trusts. So Typically, um, offenders will try to meet the needs of the parent and the child. So let's say the parent wants to, um, you know, allow little Johnny to go off to soccer camp, but they can't because it's on a day where they work. Oh, I can take Johnny. I will make myself available. Um, That kind of thing. And they will pay special attention you know, maybe offer to coach little Johnny extra. They will, um, you know, oftentimes their friendship is um, maintained for a very long time before abuse, sexual abuse begins happening. But there is usually a kind of um, deliberate um, premeditated process that they will go through. So it's going to start with just like you know, visits with the family involved. And then once they've won the affection and trust of the parents, they'll start to be alone with the child um, or maybe alone with the child and one or two of his friends. They'll get them engaged in, say, rough play, that kind of thing. And they'll encourage encourage masculine principles, right? Like whether they're, whether they're um, wrestling or swearing or whatever it is, have them do them. They'll, they'll reward them for these behaviors. Um, they'll somehow introduce secrecy into the process. So perhaps by allowing the, the young person to do something that their parents might not allow them to do, like drive a vehicle or drink alcohol or smoke a cigarette or smoke marijuana or something like that. So typically they're going to treat the child as if they're older than they are. 
And so that gets them bound in this secrecy, right? And it's a bit of a test. So if they don't tell on their offender, offender for allowing that to happen, there's less chance that they're going to report themselves later on. Because, of course, if they do report their abuse later on, they've also got to admit that they did all these things that they weren't supposed to do, too. So... Um, so yeah, so an offender will choose a target, he'll go, he'll put himself into situations where there is access to young people, um, you know, slightly before their age of preference, so they have that time to establish the relationship. And then they will, um, you know, allow them special privileges, like I said, and then they're going to start to somehow, somehow then they're going to work to um, the the relationship will progress to touch like and it will be non-sexual at first typically so roughhousing like I said or in younger children it would be typical tickling and stuff like that maybe even getting the two boys to wrestle and he'll coach them or something like that maybe teach them how to use weapons that kind of thing um Sometimes offenders will ask the children what they know about sex and then sort of get their interest built up that way, offer to teach them. Offenders will often offer to teach young boys about masturbation. So um, um, this, is a, this is the thing that I like to advocate to parents. We have to be the first person to educate our children on any matter sexual. Because if an offender is the first one to introduce that subject to their potential victim, they may be feeling, the victim may be feeling like entitled or deprived, that kind of thing. So they might be resentful that their, you know, their parents wouldn't have allowed them to do this. And the offender will often use um, pornography, that pornography, sorry, that um, might show other children engaging in these acts with like children with children or children with adults so that it lowers their inhibitions. So somehow they're lowering their inhibitions and then they're, you know, like maybe showing them graphic images so that it actually gets them excited. They may offer to teach them how to, you know, engage in these sexual acts, that kind of thing. They're going to normalize it. They're going to say, you know, they're going to say things like, this is what everybody does. This is what you do when you get older. Um, you know, other people might not understand. Whatever they need to say to entice the child, they will say. Um, sometimes they'll use religion, right, and shame them, you know, we shouldn't have did this, you've sinned now kind of thing, now now you can't tell anybody, or you just need to repent, that kind of thing, or they'll use, like I said, their body's response as blackmail against them and say, oh, look, you know, your body responded, you must have enjoyed it, you know, this was consensual kind of thing. So at the end of the process, the offender's primary goal is to leave his victim very confused about whether or not they were willing participants. So that's sort of the grooming process. And it is also one of the other reasons why, like, a lot of victims don't come forward, because they go, well, you know, prior to the abuse, I really liked my offender. So was it really abuse? Yeah. And and I'm sure that's probably a very difficult thing for, for, well, I know for children to cope with. And one of the things that, that you've mentioned a few times is like types of offenders. Are, are there different types of offenders that people should be aware of? Um, I guess that's the question I want to ask here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm aware of them being categorized in two different ways. Like, like I said, I don't necessarily specialize in sex offenders, but the, we, we know that there's like situational or opportunistic offenders, which uh, they will offend against anybody, either sex, anytime an opportunity arises. And the ones that are more prolific and sort of predatory would be the preferential child molesters. So preferentials will use the grooming techniques that I just discussed that they, they will like they will hunt and recruit and and groom their victims so they like like a situational will take any opportunity a preferential will create the opportunity so these are the ones that have the highest number of of victims so one of the things and, and I always want to be cautious to for lack of a better term scare the shit out of people and so I, I want to quick context here for a what can people be doing to be aware of those individuals in their mm -hmm. families their neighborhoods their communities mm -hmm. their schools their churches and yeah. then if, if they find that this is happening what do they do about it well, I think honestly, the best thing that people can do is educate themselves about the grooming techniques, right? And kind of be watching for them, right? So if um, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, let's be honest, we're all selfish people, right? We don't typically give things away for free and certainly not for long periods of time, right? Like I might do a you know, free, couple free sessions with somebody, but I'm not going to do it for 10 years or whatever, right? And um 
also, you know, just paying attention to their own guts. If their guts tell them that something's wrong, chances are there is something wrong. Um, in young children, they might say, I don't like that person, or I don't want to be alone with that person, or I don't want you to go to work, mommy, that kind of thing. So if, if young children are saying that, adults need to pay attention as to, you know, ask a few more probing questions. Why, honey? Why don't you like that person? Or, or what games do you play that you don't like? You know, kind of thing. Um, rather than just saying, you need to get along with Johnny or whatever, right? And, you know, um, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, in older teens, and I would I would say, or, you know, school-age children, I would say, you know, it could be the child that's being um, bullied at school, right? Because Sometimes children who are abused turn into the odd kid because they're so dysregulated or they lack boundaries, that kind of thing, or they can't pay attention in class because, you know, they haven't slept in days because they're having nightmares at night or maybe being abused at night, that kind of thing. So um, just watch out for these kids that kind of stand outside the crowd, the the one that's being picked on, or maybe even the school bully, the class clown, like, you know, could be could be victimized, right? Because oftentimes when children are falling behind for whatever reason, they will use humor to deflect from those from those facts and stuff. So yeah, I'm mean, watching out for things like that. Like in older kids, I would say watch out for drastic changes in behavior. So if, you know, like in my book, I taught, there's a, a boy who said like, you know, I used to go to church with grandma all the time. And then all of a sudden he's got really dark interests in like, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, pornography, dark poetry, heavy music, right? Um, drastic, drastic changes. So um, kids with a chip on their shoulder, like perpetually angry, sudden changes in their desire to be in a relationship with you. And just be careful not to chalk things like that, but that up as like, you know, always oh, just turning into a teenager because yes, they will go through changes, but they're not typically sudden and extreme. So watching out for things like that. Yeah. I think that's really practical too, because I'm like, as you're saying this in real time, I'm going back like, yep, check that box, that yeah. box, that box, that box, that box, right? all these experiences that I had that, should have what I would consider to be like signs for a cause of, you know, yeah. seeking deeper information, asking for help, yeah. things of that nature that were outrightly ignored. Now, I will say this. I, I believe, I hope to believe that we live in a bit of a different world than we did in the 80s. But, you know, I, I still want to, to always try to inform people about what to look out for. Mm -hmm. One of the things as we kind of switch gears here, I'm very curious about. So with working and studying and understanding so many of these experiences for men, Talk to me about kind of what that journey is for, for men to actually first come, for lack of a better term, because I don't know how to phrase it, like bring it to light. <laughs> and I'd love for you to talk about the experience of that and how men can find support. Or if you're someone who knows a man who's had one of these experiences, how you can mm -hmm. help support them. Well, there are different ages and agencies in the United States and Canada that support male survivors specifically. And I, I do think starting there is a nice reference point because a lot of them will have links to psychologists or therapists who say that they specialize in male survivor issues. So I think that's important to, and I always, I always advocate to psychologists, like if you want to work in this area, advertise that you do because you know for me that's huge like I get male survivors contacting me because of my areas of expertise and I think yeah I think and what can we do in society to help men be more prepared? We need to talk about this. We need to make it safe for boys and men to come forward, right? We need to normalize this for boys and men who have felt that they're not allowed to come forward in the past. We need to, you know, let them know that we believe you. We will hear you. We will listen. We will not mock you. We will not shame you um, for having been a victim when you were a little boy, right? Um, yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just like educating people, educating Ed educating parents, educating spouses about, you know, symptoms, signs, that kind of thing, just making it safe to have these deep, deep discussions. We'll be right back, but I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about the Think Unbroken six-week trauma healing coaching program. If you go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com, that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com, you can sign up for the six-week daily Think Unbroken Trauma Healing Coaching Program. In this program, we're going to go over the six principles of healing trauma, adaptation, understanding the impacts of trauma, how to become the hero of your own story, 
what to do next, and ultimately what it means to be unbroken. For more information about this six-week coaching program, which you can download as an app on your phone and take with you everywhere, no matter where you are in the world, it's interactive. It's built about giving you practical tools that you can use in real time. And if you're ready for what's next in your life, go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Again, that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Now let's get back to the show. And in creating that, that safety, when, when somebody, I think one of the biggest struggles that I had personally was just getting that place of recognizing like there, there's not an aloneness to it, right? You go look at statistics. I mean, you see some statistics of one in five, one in six, Mm -hmm. I would argue it's probably higher. Um, is, is there anything that you have seen to feel congruent across the, the people that the men you've been able to work with that are signs that, or I guess tools, I would say that one could use in the healing journey to start progressing forward? Signs that they could use? In any kind of signs or tools or, or resources, like when they are going through this process. Well, I do recommend finding a trained trauma therapist, right? Because, I mean, when you're talking about sexual abuse, we're talking about like like traumatic experiences. So I do recommend, you know, finding somebody that is trained in this. And, you know, if you are in a community where there isn't somebody listed that's trained in this, make get them to read my book, for example, like edu- make them educate themselves. If you're going to work with me, I need you to know about these types of issues, right? So, um, you know, and my book is designed to support male survivors, to validate their realities, to help them make sense of what they went through. Um, that's the, that's the biggest feedback I get is that your book helped me make sense of what I already went through. Um, Michael, I'm curious about your own experience though. Like one of the reasons that a lot of the men said that in my research said that they didn't come forward was because they kind of tested the waters a little bit to see if it was safe and it hadn't felt safe. I'm curious if that was your experience at all. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, mm-hmm. being in that situation and sitting down and telling my mother this and basically the rebuttal being, um, you can't do that because if you do, we're going to lose these things. And I was growing up in homelessness. I was growing up in massive poverty. I mean, the majority of our food came from the church. Clothes Uh, came from the Goodwill. mm -hmm. Our our electricity, our rent was often paid Uh, by tithes from the church. So, you know, you're talking about this, this enmeshment into it in a way that was, if I were to do that, if I were to bring this to public knowledge, we'd be ostracized from the very community that's keeping us afloat. And, And I think that's the thing that when I came to realize that to be true, it actually, that's when I started going into these depths and you would, I could literally like paint this out step by step of going, suddenly I was more violent. Suddenly Mm -hmm. I was bullying kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I was was not sleeping. Now, I mean, there's tons of circumstances involved in that, but ultimately it was, it was, I believe less so like fear of pain or punishment or anything like that, but more of the fear of like, if you don't do this, our family will suffer. What a burden to put on a child, right? I mean, you have to stay silent so that we can eat. But again, that's, that is very typical societal response to male abuse is that, you know, you're already in that role of protecting and providing for the family somehow. It was very common in my research that they didn't talk about it because it would either blow up the family or mom would be with, dad would go to jail and who's going to support the family and, or, you know, uh, you know, dad's reputation in the community. He's a pastor, right? We just can't have this happen in our house. But your your sounds very extreme that, you know, you have to stay quiet because that's our food, literally. Yeah. And, wow. it was, and, and the, the thing that I've come to discover in this, it was not until I was in a men's group therapy where I mm-hmm. shared this where I really started to be able to progress forward and, you know, looking at and understanding the the narrative in society and even being one of the few men publicly talking about something like this, I I know that far more people are impacted by it. Absolutely. The big reason why I wanted to have you come on and and share not only your expertise, but the experiences of these men is because Mm -hmm. I recognize and see Mm -hmm. that it's so detrimental Mm -hmm. and you see the impact of it in relationships Mm -hmm. and and mental, emotional, sexual, physical aspects of what it is to to be you. And as I've been in this process of healing, and I think it will always be a part of it, like getting closer and deeper into understanding who I am, yeah. there's always kind of looking at the causation and correlation of my behaviors that has been mm-hmm. able, that I can 
tie to those moments and go, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense yeah. because of that experience back then. And then now reframing it and being able to ultimately take control over the narrative. Do you, do you find that with the people that the men that you work with that that holds true for them as well? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of things that can happen. Like you just described, like, I mean, I, I suspect part of your experience was maybe even initially not knowing, you know, the full impact of the abuse, right? Like when you're a little boy, you know, something bad has happened and you didn't like it. But as you turn into your teenage and adolescence and teenage years, you start to understand it more as sexual abuse and your sexual identity is called to question. So, I mean, that's also a big reason why a lot of boys and men stay silent too, is because, you know, initially they don't understand it. They don't understand the impact of it. And then when they do start to understand the impact of it, they don't want to be labeled. They don't want to, they're, they're already feeling alone enough. Like, why did he pick me? Why did this happen? And then, you know, now I've got a circle of friends. The last thing I want to do is out myself as a victim when everybody else is talking about all the escapades and adventures they're on here. Here I am like struggling to you know, discuss what I went through. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's really common too that, yeah, like what you said, you went into a group and wind up getting support and then coming forward. Yeah. And, and that was very much the case. And, and, you know, you think about it, I, I basically just stuffed it down, right? I said, oh, this is just who I am. It's fine. Not a big deal. And then, then what happens is you recognize like, oh, holy shit, this is destroying all of my life. And it yeah. wasn't just that one Every instance, but all yeah. the traumatic experiences that I've had. Absolutely. But, but I, I think that one of the things that I struggled with the most was just pointing to what you just said. It felt like there was going to be so much shame and guilt and judgment along with telling the truth about it. Cause yeah. that's what I had been groomed into experience. Yeah. Well, possibly no one would, I mean, your mom sounds like she did believe you, but she told you how to stay quiet. Other times boys are told like that. I'm sure that didn't happen or, you know, like, uh, you know, just like, why are you making up lies, that kind of thing. I mean, I would th like to think in today's day and age that is not more anywhere near as calm as it may have been in the past, simply because of ignorance. People didn't understand that boys and men could be abused. Um, but, well, the other thing that reminded me, you asked me, like, what are some of the reasons why men don't come forward? Memory loss. Like, these, like you said, I minimized excuse me, I minimized it in my own mind. Well, I've had several, a few of my participants worked really, 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 really hard to pretend that it didn't happen. Some of them through the use of alcohol actually managed to block the memories of their own abuse for years. Yeah. And, and I, I have friends and even people that I have coached over the years that when they stepped into sobriety, like that came back. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's one of the first things I always advise anyone when, when, when they're stepping into this healing journey is like, get sober because even though it sucks, you're going to discover things that you're going to be able to acknowledge that will become in turn the very things that are going to set you free from what's holding you uh, yeah. back. Absolutely. I love that word freedom, right? Like, I mean, that's sort of the goal that I wanted to help men in their books. Like, you know, uh, or maybe I should save that for the end. You, you told me what you're going to ask for the end. But like, I like to think of helping men like be transformed, right? Into what held them back and to the, the you know, the life that God created them to have kind of thing, right? Helping yeah. them to reach their full potential. I would I would love for you to give some practical tools here for people listening right now, especially geared towards the men listening right now who are like, great, I hear this, I got it. Like, I feel like this has been a part of my experience, but like, all right, I'll go to therapy, I'll do the things, but, but is there more? Is there anything else that I can be doing that I could apply to my life maybe even right now that I can start to move forward around? Well, I mean, I suggest like I suggest starting with therapy, starting with group, getting the support you need, doing the reading that's out there. My book is one of those examples. There's other books as well. You know, getting the support, getting the help that you need, and then, you know, being open about it, right? Because shame hides in the dark and victims don't have anything to be ashamed about. It's the offender that needs to be ashamed. Yeah, I love that you said that and you're you're so spot on because, you know, what I what I recognized at one point was like oh shit, this isn't actually my fault. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably going back to that word free that I use. That was one of the yeah. freeing moment, most freeing moments of my life because I recognized the truth about not having to be culpable, right? And I think that one of the things people suffer through is this idea that it is their responsibility, their thought. Yeah. Well, one of the questions I'm really curious about here, and I, and I love the title of your book, Men Too, mm -hmm. um, Unspoken Truths. 
What un- what other unspoken truths have we not touched base on that you think are incredibly important to this conversation? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that was the whole the whole basis of my research was, you know, why are men not coming forward? So there's there's lots and lots of reasons like, you know, guilt, shame, um, fear, um, uh, you know, just I mean, OK, so, yeah, here's one that, you know, People used to believe, and I don't know, I think it's still fairly common that if you were victimized, there's a chance you're going to become an offender. In fact, a strong chance. Well, that's a lie, right? Like research shows that less than 10% of victims will go on to become offenders. However, the lie is um, often perpetrated by offenders because when they get caught, the first thing that they say, I was victimized. Please have sympathy for me. Please, I know what this boy went through because I went through it too. Well, there's research that shows that... um, what was it that 70% of sex offenders like um, psychopathic sex offenders would say that they were abused when they were um, a young boy themselves. Then when you threaten them with a polygraph, that number drops to 30%. And that's without even doing the polygraph, just threatening them with the polygraph. They, they, they self-disclosed, okay, it wasn't true all the way down from 70 to 30%. So let's, let's keep that in perspective. If we actually did the polygraph, which a lot of them would pass, unfortunately, um, but you know, I don't, I don't believe those statistics are, are near what they're claiming. So that's, that's one of the hidden truths. I think it, that's not covered in my book, but that's, um, you know, it is one reason that a lot of boys and men keep quiet because this lie, this myth that if you were abused, you're going to become an offender. You got to protect your children from them. Right. And, and that's actually part of why a lot of men end up coming into therapy when they get to the age where they're having their own children, they become afraid that they might be an offender. They might become an offender because of course they have to care for their own children, right? Their, their children's genitals are exposed to them. So they're terrified. Can I accidentally fall into this? No, you're not going to, right? But, but many men get so, you know, they wind up with problems in their marriage because they refuse to help to care for their own children because they're so scared of this. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and as someone who does not have children, I've never thought about that before. Yeah. And and if you're in that partnership, I can imagine how difficult it may be to mm-hmm. try to navigate that, not only as a yeah. partner, but as, as a man trying to go through that and have those kind of thoughts. Uh, and, and to your point about, I've heard that uh, so many times that people have abused because they were abused. And, and maybe it goes into that adage of hurt people hurt people. But, you know, I, I would hope that that and, and clearly it's not the case for for folks who are kind of wrapping their head around this for the first time. Are there any other like misnomers uh, about male sexual abuse that maybe you could debunk or, or dismiss of, demystify for us? Well, I think I think you already debunked a few of them for me, like this idea that it was your fault, that you wanted it, that you invited it, that kind of thing, right? Like, you know, like I said before, off- offenders will work really, 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 really hard to confuse their victims. So, um, and it works, right? Like, so... Um, you know, that, that myth that, you know, if they picked you, you must be gay or you must have invited it or you must have enjoyed it because your body responded that way. Well, favorably to the abuse, like you got an erection or ejaculated. Um, spinal cord research shows us that even, you know, that, that they're two separate systems. The central nervous system is, is I can't explain it. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm not going to do it justice, but the body can respond even when it's not a willing participant. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that ha- that's true for women too. It's just not near as obvious in a woman, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, but, that's a really great point. Please go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say like, and offenders get the opportunity to use it against a man because it's so obvious. Whereas in a woman, it's not so obvious. Yeah. And, and it's not. And I think that's one of the, the really interesting points about it is your your body, it's autonomic, right? It's a part of the human system. And it immediately turns into this other place where, and, and I, I, I'm not a scientist either, so I won't dive into it. But there is research pointing to the fact like, yeah, that's a part of the experience, unfortunately. And you hear many people have been molested and rape survivors speak to this. And I think, unfortunately, it's just part of one of the reactions that the human body natively has under these circumstances. Yeah. I mean, even in the sympathetic nervous system, a man can get an erection because there's lots of evidence that men who have gone to war when they're when they're in the middle of combat will get an erection. So, you know, that like this idea that you were a willing participant. And again, keep in mind, 
every child needs an attention. So if you did happen to like your offender, it's because he worked really, 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 really hard to make you like him. And when you started liking him, you had no idea that his intentions were not honest and honorable. So, you know, um, that would be one thing I would say, like, don't blame yourself for being abused or for not having stopped the abuse sooner, right? Like, all every child needs affection and attention. And if their abuser happens to be their primary source of that, it's very hard to to stop that relationship. Yeah. And it is, and especially as a child, because like the most unfortunate part of it is like you don't actually have control. And I, I think one of the things that I've I've experienced in my own self that that's taken me a long time to heal from was like not beating myself up about not having the strength to deal with it. Right. And I think that when when men can come together and when people can recognize as a whole like you know again coming back to my point that children are not culpable for these things then we start to see this massive shift i believe now of course i'm, I'm not a scientist and i'm not a researcher but i'm gonna guess from my own personal experience that that holds true absolutely yeah 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 you're absolutely right i always tell my clients don't judge yourself as if you knew then what you know now now or what you know now <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to say, why did, why was I so stupid? Why did I, well, you, if you actually go back to that, you know, like, actually, I remember mom and dad were fighting a lot back then. And this guy was like, you know, it was nice to get away from the house or in your case, you know, maybe he took you out to fancy restaurants or gave you gifts that your mom could never afford to give you. Right. Like, and of course, every child wants those things and deserves those things. But, you know, like I say, that I mean, it sounds to me like you would have been the perfect target for a pedophile because you had a lot of needs, and so did your mother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's why coming to the realization of a not beating myself up, not being culpable for it, doing the work, healing, growing, changing, reading the book, showing up, taking care of myself has dramatically changed yeah. my life for the better. And yeah. I think it's always a process. You know, I I try to teach people as often as possible. You know, this is a forever process. Like yeah, once you step into this arena, because there will always be the next trigger, there will always be the next thing. But if you continue to show up and leverage the tools and make meaning of the experiences and and honestly, for me, what's probably been most important is trying to reassociate all the experiences of my life. Like on the backside of this, you can still have an amazing life and you don't even have to share it publicly. Like I realize, like me sharing this publicly is for some people, probably the first time they're even bringing awareness to this kind of conversation. And I'm not, I don't think men or anyone for that matter need to share it, but I am saying that it is here. It does exist. And to go and share it within, you know, a safe space with therapists with the right people mm -hmm. it will change your life forever absolutely, absolutely. and I, I mean i've i've heard a you know i i do agree that it's a lifelong journey i think it probably would be for women but it's maybe not as much of a struggle because women have so much support readily available i mean you can go into any city and any sexual assault center is used to dealing with women and i'm, I'm most of them are, are well accustomed to dealing with men now but that's only in the last 10 15 years so you know i mean um, and, you know, any woman is can look anywhere for support. But, you know, a man has to be kind of careful because there's still a lot of people that don't understand that men can be victimized. And there's still a lot of people, like I say, that are still buying into those biases that have existed for a lifetime before. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say, Michael, was like um, you said, like, it's a lifetime uh, process. Well, and, you know, obviously abuse happens in a lot of different contexts. So one of the things that I tried to do in my book was say, you know, for example, if you were abused in a familial situation and you're now in a, you know, if you went through what we call parentification, where you were made to be the parent um, to other, you know, maybe even to your abuser, right? Like one of my research participants, his father put him in the role of being his mom's date, lover, everything. And, you know, so he would benefit from reading these five books that I gave as listings in my book to read, right? Or, um, you know, if you need to, if you're struggling in your adult life with attachment issues because you don't trust, here's a good book to read. So that's one of the kind of things I tried to do in my book was say, like, I'm not an expert in all of these areas, but here's the expert in that area you might want to go check out. And here's the expert in that area you might want to go check out. So there really are resources out there. It's just a matter of finding them. 
Yeah. And I love that you included those resources because I've always tried to do the same thing. Cause the one thing that I know is there's just so much information. There's experts everywhere and, and you do have to seek it. And I think yep. that's one of the more difficult parts about it is people don't recognize the agency that they have to take yeah. in this process. Um, well, I mean, and you also have to be careful who you follow, right? Because I mean, one of the things that I've learned as a psychologist is that anybody can call themselves a counselor, whether they got, whether they got credentials to do it or not. Like I've had, I've had clients come in to see me and it's like, they tell me what they did with their last therapist and I just shake my head and, and then I go do research and find out what, what their last therapist training was and there isn't any. So it's like, it's really scary that, you know, anybody can call themselves an expert. So you know, doing a little bit of homework and finding a few people that you trust and then taking their word on who they say is credible kind of thing might be helpful too. So like I say, just being careful and yeah, and finding, finding those, those groups, those supports, those, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, like you have different guests on that they get to hear, okay, this guy sounds credible. This guy's got the expertise in this area. I might research him a bit more. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you say that too, is because when when I first found my my therapist to deal with this specifically, I actually went to psychology.com, created a spreadsheet, and oh, called like yeah. 25 different therapists and asked them all a series of questions that were very pointed because I needed Good. to know and understand whether or not they knew more than me to help me with the thing I'm trying absolutely. to unravel. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So I recommend that tool. Kelly, my friend, this has been an amazing conversation. Before I ask you my last question, can you tell us a little bit more about the book and where people can find you? Yeah, I mean, it's Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Chapters, Indigo, Walmart. Uh, it's it's available in a lot of venues now. My website is kellypalfy.com. Um, and there's links to where you can buy my book there if you're interested. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes for the listeners and i highly recommend that you check out the book again it's called men too um and it's the unspoken truths about male sexual abuse kelly my friend my last question for you what does it mean to you to be unbroken yeah honestly um you know i think that that word that i used earlier that transformed you know um a lot of like a lot of people that I've worked with have also turned to their faith and you know it's like going from a place of being able to you know being being broken and being feeling like unworthy unloved and transitioning into a place where you can now help other people heal the things that they have struggles with and just yeah I think you know this this word transformation comes to my mind where you can you know reintegrate back into society and help others uh, if possible with the things that you struggled with and yeah I think like I said I mean I, I always tell my clients I can help he can heal you know <laughs> so I do yeah I do encourage people just get the help that's out there there is help yeah. Consider access to faith too. Beautifully said, my friend. And thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I want to know what you think. Please do me a favor and review, rate, and share the episode with three friends on social media today. It would mean the world if you did, because ultimately at the end of the day, creating community and connection is how we heal generational trauma in the world. And I need your help to do that on Broken Nation. So if you're on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are, please like comment, share, review. I want to know not only what you like about the show, but how I can make the show better, how I can make this further about helping you on your healing journey. So do me a favor. And when you do shoot me a screenshot of you making the review to my DM at Michael Unbroken on Instagram so that I can have a conversation with you, say hi, and more importantly, so I can share it with the Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. 
I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.